This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to the Mad Splainers, a podcast from the Capital Times that makes sense of local issues. I'm reporter and podcast producer Natalie Yar. My co-host Abby Becker and I first talked with epidemiologist Malia Jones of UW-Madison's Applied Population Laboratory back in March, when the coronavirus pandemic first started shutting things down in Wisconsin. Back then, Malia told us she didn't really study coronaviruses or pandemics, but four months later, that's all changed. In addition to regularly appearing on shows like ours, she's written a kid's book about the coronavirus and worked with other women scientists to create Dear Pandemic, a Facebook page that helps regular folks understand the latest in pandemic science. Not only is the pandemic now at the center of her work, but as the mom of two kids, she's also been thinking a lot about whether it's safe for kids to go back to school. On Friday, the Madison Metropolitan School District announced that the school year would begin with only virtual instruction, a decision that eased some worries and prompted others. Scott Gerard, the Cap Times K-12 education reporter and frequent Madsplainers guest, wanted to get Malia's take, so he took over as Madsplainers host this week. Without further ado, here's Scott and Malia. First of all, how are you doing as a parent through all of this uncertainty with school? (sighs) (laughs) It's been rough. This is rough. It's hard. Um... So school virtual learning last spring, what, what did not go well. I have a, uh, last year I had a kindergartner and a fourth grader. And, um, I mean, virtual learning for kindergarten is really, it's just not developmentally appropriate to, to try to learn kindergarten stuff on zoom, you know? So, um, so that was challenging The the, fourth grade stuff was also a challenge for other reasons. Just the, the personality of my fourth grader made it, um, really hard to do. And so I don't want to send my kids back to school virtually. And thinking about doing that for another couple months or another full academic year is is really hard. And that's in spite of the fact that, you know, we had a great teaching team and they were doing their absolute best. So yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And then, you know, I also have um, a cat who likes to get in my face. I also have a... um, full-time job and uh, my kids are around full-time and it's, it's a lot to juggle. So I think a lot of parents are struggling right now. And so are we. How does your role as an epidemiologist factor into the decisions around this for your kids? I mean, would you be comfortable sending your kids to school and how would you feel about, you know, their teacher safety and things like that? Yeah, it's really context specific and you know, a couple of weeks ago, when we started to get communications from MMSD about what school might look like in the fall, we had very few cases in still in Dane County at that point. You know, we had just gone from phase one to phase two reopening and case counts were still pretty low. And I at that time, I thought there was a way to make school safe for teachers and students. But since then, we have had now four weeks of sustained much higher case counts in the community. I haven't seen any motion from public health that we're going to return to 
stricter shelter in place guidelines, you know, return to phase one or, or even to a shutdown. And in the face of that, no, I, I don't think it's safe for teachers to be in classrooms for long periods of time, you know, often with poor ventilation and with a big group of kids. So as an epidemiologist, you know, when we looked at the options that the district sent out late last week, and they were considering all virtual, in-person, and then this hybrid AB plan, I looked at those options and basically said, you know, I thought to myself, if I were a teacher, would I be doing this given the case counts that are circulating in the community? And decided at that point, even before the school district decided that we we were not going to send our kids in person. You know, I think if things were different in the community, if there are if there are no cases in the community, there's no chance that there's going to be a case in the school. And you could you could implement a school day that made it safe enough. But we're that's not what we see in Dane County right now. Kind of going off of that. Can you talk a little bit about how the options for reopening schools depend on the factors outside of schools, a little outside the education world's control? Yeah, absolutely. So it's entirely, you can't separate the two things. They're highly interconnected. You know, the you can do some stuff in the school environment to make the school, the likelihood of, it, of an infection, any infection spreading lower right? You could reduce the number of kids in a classroom at the same time. You could put the desks a little further apart. You could try to get kids outside. You could have hand washing and people wearing masks. But the fact is the school day is structured in a way that makes transmission risk high. So because the days are pretty long, you know, you're in that that room for several hours. They're in groups and they're inside, I think early on, a lot of epidemiologists were really just kind of hoping for this this outcome that it turns out kids are somehow immune, right? Because we were seeing really low um, numbers of, of poor outcomes among kids. And that's still true. We Kids rarely get really, really sick with COVID-19. But the emerging evidence does not support the idea that they never get it and also suggests that they can transmit it. Maybe not as well as adults, at least for younger kids, but they can. And so it's not, you know, if there are cases in school, whether they're amongst the kids or amongst the adults, then there's a risk that that people are going to get sick in school. And so the only way to control that is to make sure that there are no cases coming into the school, which means that it really falls on community level transmission to make schools safe. So I've seen a lot of finger pointing at MMSD. I mean, and I am also really, really upset about the equity implications of having virtual learning this year. But I don't think it's fair to blame MMSD for making this decision. I don't know that they could have made another one, given that we don't have good control in the community of the outbreak. What public health measures do you think MMSD and other schools should be paying the closest attention to in determining when it might be safe to open? Yeah, so we see there are two really key measures, and those are the positivity rate, which is the number of tests that come back positive, and then also just the total number of cases that are circulating in the community. Uh, And we started to see in Dane County, both of those go up substantially about four weeks ago. You know, they didn't continue going up uh, in a way that looks exponential, but they're still pretty high. And so they, they haven't gone back down again. 
So if I were in the position that MMSD is in, I'd be looking at the number of cases in the community and the positivity rate. Okay. And those are reported by the Dane County on the Dane County data dashboard. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So we reached out to you after seeing a Facebook post of yours uh, that had made the rounds online. Yeah, my second viral (laughs) Facebook post of the pandemic. (laughs) You can never have enough. Uh, (laughs) Actually, one one was enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In that post, you talked a lot about MMSD's hybrid option, which some other districts in the area are also considering. Um, And that option would split students into two cohorts, each attending school in person two days a week and learning virtual the other three. Could you share a bit more about the concerns you have with that sort of model? Yeah, I have a lot of concerns with that model. And they stem from my really specific area of expertise is studying how kids can be the carrier of an infectious disease from their home to their school and back again. So it's this spatially and time specific kind of transmission pattern that we have because kids go back and forth. They're like connectors. They are exposed to a big network of people within school. And then they're the bridge that connects their family members to, you know, to the networks they are exposed to at work or in other schools. And when we look at other diseases like influenza and measles, that's a really important factor in how outbreaks get going. And so when I started thinking about those hybrid plans, MMSD had proposed one and some other districts, including very large ones, New York City is going to go with this AB hybrid plan. My concern is that It boils down to what are the kids going to be doing on those days when they are not in school? And if you think about what our goals are for reopening in-person instruction, I think um, those hybrid plans really don't meet any of the goals that we have. They're probably no safer than just having kids in school as usual in terms of disease transmission risk. And that's because if any of the kids, if if any part of the, the young student population is going to a childcare setting that's not their own home on their off days, then uh, they will be exposed to some other cohort of kids that's not the same group that they're in, in the classroom with, right? So, and all of those kids are exposed to their own classroom and household cohorts. And so it actually opens up the disease transmission network substantially, even from what we would normally see in a normal school year. And so I I don't think that having an AB hybrid will really reduce the risk of an outbreak in schools, even though it would achieve less kids in the same classroom. If you start to look at their second degree connections, who they are exposed to in their whole network, it's actually more people. And so I think it actually could increase the chances that one of those kids is bringing disease into the classroom, even though there's less of them. So that's one point from an epi perspective. Also from an equity perspective, it really leaves working parents still in a very tight spot in terms of what to do with their children. Um, And so it doesn't achieve one of the aims of reopening in-person instruction, which is to let people go to work and, you know, earn, earn rent. Single parents in particular, I think, are are really going to be strapped 
in those plans to figure out what to do with their kids because they need to go to work and their kids are going to be home five days a week. So in, cause obviously the district is still hoping to open at some point this school year. Yeah. Um, they've talked about that. Would you recommend they only consider opening five days a week uh, if they make the decision that in-person is safe? Well, so I think there are some other ways to think about it. Um, and I'll say, you know, I think there might be places in the country where an AB hybrid plan is the best option that's possible. But I, I would really, I hope that the district would consider a different kind of a split, which is to to prioritize the younger grade levels to go to full-time in-person instruction and, and um, roll out in-person instruction gradually starting with the youngest age groups. And so we could have, and that's my preference for a couple of reasons. One of them is that the epidemiology data we're getting so far suggests that younger kids are less likely to transmit COVID-19 Older kids, kids who are 9 to 18 or 10 to 18, transmit COVID-19 more or less like adults too. And so I think that if there were a case of COVID-19 in the classroom that a kid brought in, it'd be safer if that were a younger kid than an older kid. In addition, from a safety and an equity perspective, it's the younger kids that we really need to be having in-person instruction with, A, because they, as I said, you know, online kindergarten is is really very hard or impossible to achieve and do it well. And B, those are the kids who can't safely self-supervise at home. And so from a safety and equity perspective, I think it's we should prioritize having those younger kids in classrooms before we consider bringing the older kids back. You know, that said, I've gotten a lot of pushback on that because there are some older kids who can't self-supervise safely. There are older kids with special needs who really need to be in classrooms and seeing their peers. And, you know, I get that. And I also totally get that we are faced with a lot of bad choices right now. We are going to end up with a compromise that that some people don't like. My future telling ability it has not improved over the last several months, but that much I am sure of. So yeah. it's not perfect. That plan is not perfect. But I do think it's um, I think it's more developmentally appropriate and also safer than trying to do this A-B split with every grade level having some in-person time. Sure. How do you suggest as a parent of young kids yourself, how would you suggest parents talk to their children about why they won't be going back to school? So I think kids... I think sometimes we underestimate their ability to wrap their heads around scientific information and also maybe their interest. Um, my kids have been really interested in the pandemic and um, maybe that's because they live with an epidemiologist, but um, <laughs> I do think that part of the solution here is to talk to kids about what's happening in a developmentally appropriate way. And recruit their help in, you know, doing what needs to be done in order to keep our community safe. Kids are naturally altruistic. And so I think that, you know, I've had very little trouble, for example, getting my kids to wear a mask, because if you tell them that it protects other people, kids are much more likely to get into that than adults are. I think, you know, talking to them about the reasons for online instruction and how everybody is making sacrifices right now in order to keep the whole community safe is really important part of the solution. All right. Anything else we didn't touch on related to schools um, that you think you'd like to mention? 
There's so much. It's such a complicated subject. I guess the thing that we didn't really touch on strongly are these equity issues and and what's going to happen with the decisions that have already been made to go virtual, at least for the first part of the year and possibly longer. You know, looking ahead, we've made this commitment to do virtual for the first quarter, which is till the end of October. We live in a town where there are a lot of young people who will be moving back into town at the beginning of September. And we've seen a lot of transmission happening with young people. So I have concerns that infection rates are not going to go down when the university starts up again. And so, you know, by, by the end of October, when we're trying to figure out what to do next uh, with public schools, I'm worried we're still going to be seeing high transmission rates and we'll have to make a decision to, to be virtual for the entire year. That has tremendous equity implications that I am really concerned about. Like I said, working parents are in a very tough spot, especially those who don't have the luxury of working from home like I do. Uh, I don't know what you're supposed to do with your kids in this situation. And I'm really worried about those families. Yeah, it's going to be a tremendous challenge. It's going to be a tremendous uh, challenge for everyone. And I think, you know, I would encourage parents who are worried about this to reach out to the city and the county, reach out to your city and county representatives and tell them that you want them to increase restrictions because otherwise I don't, I don't really see any signs that the county is considering making substantial changes to the, to the restrictions on activities. And I'm just worried that those college kids, uh, you know, you can't drink beer through a mask and they're coming back in September. And we've already seen that they are very capable of spreading COVID-19 in social settings like bars and parties. And um, I would like to not see increased cases and be able to open schools. Thank you so, so much for being with us today, Malia. I really appreciate you taking the time to share. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on again. Hopefully no other major decisions come that we have to have you back on again, but I'm guessing something will oh, come God. up and there we'll will be in be touch. For yeah. sure. We'll just we'll put it on the touch. calendar for two months out. <laughs> Big thanks to Scott for hosting and to Malia for sharing her pandemic wisdom. You can find more of it by searching for Dear Pandemic on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And big thanks to you, as always, for listening to the Mad Splainers. Got a question about a local issue? That's what we live for. Email us at nyahr at madison.com and your question could become a Mad Splainers episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the Mad Splainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening. You can also check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drinks in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. I'll be back on Wednesday to tell you all about the Cap Times next cover story. Until then, thanks for listening, and don't forget that mask. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.